Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Power and authority have the tendency to corrupt men. This is seen throughout the Bible in the kings of Israel and Judah. Today, we'll look at some of these kings and priests and see how their corruption paints a backdrop for Jesus, our incorruptible high priest. One of Cheryl's message titled, Our Incorruptible High Priest. When my oldest son was two, as a family, because we do things as a family, we did things as a family, we watched a Snoopy special, a Charlie Brown special together. In those days, we didn't have um, television, but we had what were called VHS cassettes. Most of you probably don't know what they are. They were rectangular, they were black. And if you put them in what was called a VHS machine, you could watch like a movie or a cartoon. And so we watched a Charlie Brown special in which Lucy sang a song and made everybody sing a song. You know, Lucy, she's like the bossy girl in the Charlie Brown comics. And the song went, Lucy's the boss. Lucy's the boss. So you better listen to Lucy. Listen to Lucy and do what Lucy says. So she sings it to the little Charlie Brown clan. And then they have to sing, Lucy's the boss. Lucy's the boss. So you better listen to Lucy. Listen to Lucy. Lucy's the boss. Lucy's the boss. So you better do what Lucy says. And it's like, boom, you better, you know? So we were in the car and my youngest son was getting really, really bossy. At two, he used to like, I don't know where he learned this, but he liked to sit in the back seat in his car seat and say, go straight, dad. Turn right, dad. Speed up, dad. Make a left, dad. He's only two. I don't, I I don't know where he got that. Only he is the child that is most like me. And he would do this, you know. So Brian went, Charlo's the boss. Charlo's the boss. So you better listen to Charlo. Charlo started smiling so big. And he's like, everybody sing it. He's two. And he was so empowered. So then our daughter, Kristen, got a little upset. So we started singing it to her. You know what Char started doing? Wailing. No, no, I'm the boss. It's two years old. I'm the boss. Not Kristen. I'm the boss. So then we started singing, Mommy's the boss. Mommy's, no, not Mommy. 
And we did it about, you know, daddy's the boss. Oh my goodness. We had like a flaming child in the back. He was so angry. We could barely get him off the edge. We had to just start doing Charlo's the boss just to stop him, just to calm him down, you know, because we were only to Bakersfield and we were on our way to Yosemite. It was bad. Power, prestige, and privilege are lethal to most men, even to a two-year-old. They can be so lethal. John Dahlberg, who was also Lord Acton, said, and you've heard this quote, power tends to corrupt. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men, even when they exercise influence and not authority. Still more, when you super add the tendency of corruption by authority. This truth has been proven throughout history. In fact, we have seen it individually in our circumstances. Maybe you had a coworker who was promoted to boss and it changed them. A simple promotion just changed them and the friendship was broken. Or maybe your friend or your neighbor, they came into some money and it changed them. Their personality changed. Their their priorities changed. And you saw this corruption. The Bible proves this truth when it highlights the kings of Israel and Judah. The first king, Saul, was so humble when he was first chosen. In fact, they had to find him at his coronation because he was hiding, because he didn't feel worthy of the kingship of Israel. But once he received that power, once he was on the throne, he sought to kill David or anyone who threatened his regency. He usurped the role as high priest, offering sacrifices for the army of Israel when he was supposed to wait for Samuel. He disobeyed God and didn't carry out any God who put him as king. He refused to obey the edicts of God. And he sought at the end of his life direction from a witch. Even David, who loved God, became at one point corrupted by the power of being king. He stayed home from a battle. He seduced another man's wife. He had the husband murdered. And he ordered a census in Israel, even though God had prohibited such a thing. And in so doing, brought a plague against the people of Israel. Solomon was so humble in the beginning. When God came to him and said, Solomon, ask what you, what you need, what you want. Solomon didn't ask for riches or for fame, but he asked for wisdom to govern the people of God. There was this humility. But after Solomon felt secure as king, he was corrupted by his many pagan wives. He disobeyed the law of God, which forbid the taking of pagan wives. And not only did he take pagan wives, but he multiplied wives, which was also against the law of God. And these wives turned his heart to idolatry. And at the end of his reign, he became such an oppressive king that the people of Israel, 
begged his son and heir, Rehoboam, to lift the heaviness and the burdens that were on them. Of the 20 kings who ruled Judah after that, only seven sought the Lord. But even these godly kings had imperfections. One made bad and dangerous alliances. One sought the help of man above God. Another was influenced by the wrong people. That would be Josiah, a Joash. Another was filled with conceit. We see personal weakness, pride, and rashness in these good kings. Even these good kings, even these godly kings were not above being corrupted by power, prestige, and privilege. Of the 20 kings who ruled the northern kingdom of Israel, none were righteous. There is not one godly king. They led the people into calf worship, idolatry, and Baal worship, and they persecuted the prophets. They were notorious for their oppression, their murderous rampages, and for their alliances with ungodly nations. The same holds true for the priests of Israel. They were men and therefore subject to weaknesses and temptation. The high priest on the day of atonement had to first offer a sacrifice for his own sins before he could even offer a national sacrifice for all the people of Israel. Because the priesthood was by lineage, the sons of Aaron, the grandsons of Aaron, and not by election or divine call, you were never quite sure of the character of the child. I mean, we've seen that a lot with, with men who receive their wealth by inheritance and not by earning it, right? You know, because they haven't suffered. They haven't worked as hard as their father. They don't practice the same disciplines or graces that their father practiced. Uh, one example of that is Heinz, the, the ketchup company, the tomato sauce company. Mr. Heinz went bankrupt before he was able to start his, his business again, but he chose to pay off every single one of his creditors. He was a Christian businessman, and he was the first businessman to offer a rest area for his employees, to have doctors and um, a clinic on site, a dental clinic, uh, to offer his, his employees retirement and incentive packages. But he said he took all of his practices from what he learned from the Bible. And he showed such grace and such favor to his employees. But his son did not do the same, nor his son's sons. That's what happens in Hawaii, the missionaries were so humble. There's a, a book on the missionaries. It's called Sons of Righteousness, a branch of righteousness. And the first missionaries that came to Hawaii were so humble. And they dressed the women in mumus because the women had these ample bodies. And the pirates that would land in Hawaii were taking advantage of these women. So the missionaries took up their own fabric and they made mumus to cover these beautiful women so that the soldiers would, I'm sorry, the sailors would not take advantage of them. But the second generation began to exploit the people 
begin to claim the land away from the people. So today when you go to Hawaii and you mention missionaries, most of the Hawaiians, they have a bad taste in their mouth, not by the first generation, but by the second and the third generation. Eli was was a good priest, but he had corrupt sons, Hophni and Phinehas. We read about them in 1 Samuel 2, 12 through 17, that they took bribes, that they seduced the women who came to serve the Lord and that they made the sacrifice to God abominable and hard. And the people begin to resent having to come to the house of the Lord because of the sons of Eli. So God started again with Samuel. Samuel was a good priest, a godly priest. But we read in 1 Samuel 8, 3, that his sons were not like him, that they took bribes and they were corrupt. To safeguard against this corruption, God stipulated in the law of Moses that in the nation of Israel, kings would come from the lineage of David, the tribe of Judah, and priests could only come from the lineage of Aaron, the tribe of Levi. This separation, to some extent, was to produce accountability between the administrative and the spiritual offices in Israel. They were given equal authority and they were to keep each other in check. One, the Aaronic priesthood was to make sure that the king was godly and the king was to ensure that the temple was revered and protected Twice before in Israel's history, the offices of king and priest had combined to disastrous results. In 2 Chronicles chapter 27, we read about a good king, Uzziah. In fact, it says of Uzziah in verse 16 of chapter 27 of 2 Chronicles, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, For he transgressed against the Lord, his God, by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. See, there was a time Uzziah was so incredibly anointed as a king. He was a great king. In fact, Uzziah is credited even by the Syrians, ancient Syrians, with inventing the catapult. And the Gatlin, um, the precursor to the Gatlin or the machine gun, he invented a machine that you could rotate and it would shoot out arrows and the catapults. In the Bible, it, it calls him an inventor of devices. And these devices were known as the catapult and the precursor to the Gatlin gun. He was amazing. He was successful in all of his endeavors. He was a great gardener. He loved to garden. And so he turned Israel into an agri- uh, Judah, the, northern, uh, the southern kingdom, into a very fruitful nation agriculturally. He was ingenious. He was brilliant. But as he began to feel the success the prosperity and the blessing of the Lord, his heart was lifted up and he said, well, the high priest isn't as godly as I am. 
I should be the high priest. I'm godlier than he is. I love the Lord more than he does. I study the law. I know the law. And so he presumed to go into the Holy of Holies, into the courtyard and then the temple, and then into the Holy of Holies to offer the national sacrifice for Israel. The priests all gathered around and they tried to stop him. And they said, it's not for you to do such a thing. It's not for you, O king. But he was determined and said, I'm the king. I can do what I want. And as he came near to the Holy of Holies, Second Chronicles tells us that he was stricken with leprosy from head to foot. So bad that he spent the rest of his reign living in seclusion and never able again to enter the court of the Lord. He became even hostile to the Lord and had a co-regency with his son, Jotham. Another time that this office was combined, both priest and king, was during what we call the intertestamental period. And that's the time between Malachi and Matthew. This 500, actually 400 year period after Israel had returned from Babylon after the exile, when the land of Israel was overrun either by the Seleucids or the Syrian kingdoms or Egypt known as the Ptolemy kingdoms. And it's during this king, this time, that a very evil Syrian king arose whose name was Antiochus Epiphanes. And he profane the temple by offering a pig on the, on the altar of God. Now, there was a priestly family known as the Maccabeans. And Matthias, who was the head of the Maccabeans, and he was of the Aaronic lineage, was so angry that he took his sons and he went down and he took over the temple. And they held the temple and they purified the temple. And miraculously, the oil stayed so that they could continually, even though there was not enough oil, keep the menorah of the Lord lit. And from that episode, you have what is called Hanukkah, which is a feast that even Jesus celebrated, and you learned that it was as the Feast of Dedication, which is also Hanukkah. Jesus was at the temple. So he honored this feast too that we, that of Hanukkah. But what happened is then the priestly family, Matthias was killed, but the rest of his sons, they were able to fight off the Syrians. And for a short-lived time, Israel regained its nationality. And during this time, the grandson of Matthias, John Hycranus, he not only declared himself the priest, but the king of Israel. And when he declared himself king, you know what he did? He took concubines which was forbidden for the priest. He became more and more corrupt. He became oppressive. He then passed on the priesthood and the dynasty to his son, Alexander Janus, 
who was in a constant civil war with his brother. So Israel was storm-tossed between these two brothers. But at the Feast of Sukkoth, when the water was to be poured down the stairs at the temple to signify or to remind the people of how God had brought the water out of the rock to refresh the people, and that the people would be refreshed. And this is one of those feasts that all the men and families of Israel were to come to Jerusalem. And there were thousands upon thousands of people camped out on the hillsides and inside Jerusalem living in little booths. And at this feast, Alexander Janus took the water and he poured it on his own feet, not down the stairs. In other words, he was saying, only I deserve the refreshment of God. I am great. I am king and priest. And the people recognized it as a claim to the Messiahship of Israel. And they pelted him with oranges. And what he did is he turned loose his army on his fellow Israelites And that day, over 6,000 men, women, and children were murdered in Jerusalem in the court of the Lord. Later, because the Pharisees said, you're wrong. You cannot be priest and king. You are not the Messiah. He had 300 Pharisees crucified. And he watched them die while He kissed and fondled and cuddled with his concubines. He was that corrupt. It is from Alexander Janus that Herod arose because he married the granddaughter, Marianne, of Alexander Janus. And so what we see, even with this, this Kingship, this unauthorized merging that eventually went to a Gentile who tried to murder the true Messiah. Only God's Messiah could officiate both offices. According to Psalm 110, it would be the son of David who would be king and priest. Not the son of Aaron, but the son of David. As it says in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. But this son of David, according to verse four of Psalm 110, would be ordained from a higher priesthood than Aaron's. He would be from the order of Melchizedek. Because only the Messiah could hold such power, such prestige, and such privilege without conceit, without corruption, without character change, and without becoming oppressive. Now, as we come, that's a long introduction, but guess what? We're now at Hebrews chapter 7. Verses 1 through 17, but by reminder, throughout the epistle of Hebrews, the author has one aim, 
the great aim of the author of Hebrews is to show the superiority of Jesus, the superiority of our Messiah Jesus to the law, to the sacrifices, to the temple, to the priesthood. The author of Hebrews wants the Hebrews and wants us to know that Jesus is what we have always needed, that Jesus is all we need, and Jesus is everything we need. And he shows this by way of scripture. The priesthood of Israel was not by divine election or call. It was by lineage through the sons of Aaron. It was a privileged and important position and something that could not be earned. Unfortunately, this allowed for dishonest priests to come in and turn the people away from the Lord and to idolatry. This corruption accentuates the aim of the author of Hebrews to show the superiority of Jesus as our incorruptible high priest, perfect and pure, who made the final and complete sacrifice for the atonement for our sins. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look further at Jesus, our incorruptible high priest, as we continue our series, Our Great Faith, in the book of Hebrews with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.